morning, good afternoon and good evening, wherever you are in the world. Welcome to the first Dead Call Tale of 2024. This is a peculiar one to start with, as I kind of quite honestly don't know a great deal about it. Um, this folklore character from Victorian times. Even though I have kind of heard about him mentioned on a few occasions. So just for transparency and just to make sure that I don't upset any experts on the story, I've taken most of this from Wikipedia. As we roll merrily forward with these uh, stories and, and um, accounts from people back in the day, uh, what I'd probably like to try and think of is, um, which is exactly what I'm going to be thinking as well, was this character a real person or persons? Uh, was he a demon or a ghost? Or was he something made up by the London press back in Victorian times? The character in question is called Spring-Heeled Jack. And hopefully by the time we get to the end of these accounts, we can make our own minds. So let me know in the comments, please. So, without further ado... Ladies and gentlemen, I am Mark, and you are listening to Dead Cold Tales. Episode 4, The Legend of Spring-Heeled Jack. Spring-Heeled Jack is an entity in English folklore of the Victorian era. The first claimed sighting of Spring-Heeled Jack was in 1837. Later sightings were reported all over the United Kingdom and were especially prevalent in suburban London, the Midlands and Scotland. There are many theories about the nature and identity of Spring-Heeled Jack. This urban legend was very popular in its time due to the tales of his bizarre appearance and the ability to make extraordinary leaps to the point that he became the topic of several works of fiction. Spring-Heeled Jack was described by people who claimed to have seen him as having a terrifying and frightful appearance, clawed hands and eyes that resembled red balls of fire. One report claimed that beneath the black cloak he wore a helmet and tight-fitting white garment like an oilskin. Many stories also mentioned a devil-like aspect Others said he was tall and thin, with the appearance of a gentleman. Several reports mentioned that he could breathe out blue and white flames, and that he wore sharp metallic claws at his fingertips, and at least two people claimed that he was able to speak comprehensible English. In the early 19th century, there were reports of ghosts that stalked the streets of London. These human-like figures were described as pale, it was believed that they stalked and preyed on lone pedestrians. The stories told of these figures formed a part of a distinct ghost tradition in London, which some writers have argued formed the foundation of the later legend of Spring-Heeled Jack. The most important of these entries was the Hammersmith Ghost, which in 1803 and 1804 was reported in Hammersmith on the western fringes of London. It would later reappear 
1824. Another apparition, the Southampton Ghost, was also reported as assaulting individuals in the night. This particular spirit bore many of the characteristics of Spring-Heeled Jack and was reported as jumping over houses and being over 10 feet tall. The first alleged sightings of Spring-Heeled Jack were made in London in 1837. It was October and a girl by the name of Mary Stevens was walking to Lavender Hill after visiting her parents. She worked there as a servant. On her way through Clapham Common, a strange figure leapt at her from a dark alley. After immobilizing her with a tight grip, he began to kiss her face while ripping her clothes and touching her flesh with his claws, which were, according to her disposition, cold and clammy as those of a corpse. In a panic, the girl screamed, making the attacker quickly flee from the scene. The commotion brought several residents who immediately launched a search for the aggressor, but he could not be found. The next day, a leaping character is said to have chosen a very different victim near Mary Stevens' home, inaugurating a method that would appear in later reports. He jumped in the way of a passing carriage, causing the coachman to lose control, crash and severely injure himself. Several witnesses claimed that he escaped by jumping over a nine-foot-high wall while cackling with a high-pitched, ringing laughter. Gradually, the news of the strange character spread and soon the press and the public gave him the name Spring-Heeled Jack. A few months later, after the first sightings, on the 9th of January 1838, the Lord Mayor of London, Sir John Cowan, revealed at a public session held in the Mansion House an anonymous complaint that he had had received several days earlier, which he had withheld in the hope of obtaining further information. The correspondent who signed the letter, a resident of Peckham, wrote, It appears that some individuals have laid a wager with a mischievous and foolhardy companion that he does not take upon himself the task of visiting many of the villages near London in three different disguises, a ghost, a bear, and a devil. And moreover, that he will not enter a gentleman's garden for the purpose of alarming the inmates of the house. The wager has, however, been accepted, and the unmanly villain has succeeded in depriving seven ladies of their senses two of whom who are not likely to recover, but to become a burden to their families. At one house the man rang the bell, and on that servant coming to the open door, this worse than brute stood in no less dreadful figure than a spectre clad most perfectly. The consequence was that the poor girl immediately swooned, and has never from that moment on been in her senses. The affair has now been going on for some time, and strange to say, the papers are still silent on the subject. The writer has the reason to believe that they have the whole history at their finger ends, but through interested motives are reduced to remain silent. Though the Lord Mayor seemed fairly sceptical, 
a member of the audience confirmed that the servant girls about Kensington, Hammersmith and Ealing tell dreadful stories of this ghost or devil. The matter was reported in the Times on the 9th of January, other national papers on the 10th of January, and on the day after that, the Lord Mayor showed a crowded gathering, a pile of letters from various places in and around London, complaining of similar wicked pranks. The quantity of letters that poured into the mansion house suggests that the stories were widespread in suburban London. One writer said several young women in Hampsmith had been frightened into dangerous fits and some severely wounded by a sort of claws the miscreant wore on his hands. Another correspondent claimed that in Stockwell, Brixton, Camberwell and Vauxhall several people had died of fright and others had had fits. Meanwhile, another reported that the trickster had been repeatedly seen in Lewisham and Blackheath. The Lord Mayor himself was in two minds about the affair. He thought the greatest exaggerations had been made, and that it was quite impossible that the ghost performs the feats of a devil upon earth. But on the other hand, someone he trusted had told him of the servant girl at Forest Hill who had been scared into fits by a figure in a bearskin. He was confident that the person or persons involved in this pantomime display would be caught and punished. The police were instructed to search for the individual responsible and rewards were offered. A peculiar report from the Brighton Gazette which appeared in the 14th of April 1938 edition of the Times related to how a gardener in Rose Hill, Sussex had been terrified by a creature of unknown nature. The Times wrote that Spring-Heeled Jack has, it seems, found his way to the Sussex coast, even though the report bore little resemblance to the accounts of Jack. The incident occurred on the 13th of April when it appeared to a gardener in the shape of a bear or some other four-footed animal. Having attracted the gardener's attention by a growl, it then climbed the garden wall and then ran along it on all fours before jumping down and chasing the gardener for some time. After terrifying the gardener, the apparition scaled the wall and made its exit. Perhaps the best known of the alleged incidents involving Spring-Heeled Jack were the attacks on two teenage girls, Lucy Scales and Jane Alsop. The Alsop report was widely covered by the newspapers, including a piece in the Times, while few reports appeared in relation to the attacks on Scales. The press coverage on these two attacks helped raise the profile of Spring-Heeled Jack. Jane Alsop reported on the night of 19th of February 1838. She answered the door to her father's house to a man claiming to be a police officer who told her to bring a light. We have caught Spring-Heeled Jack here in the lane. She brought the person a candle and noticed that he wore a large cloak. The moment she had handed him the candle, he threw off the cloak and presented a most hideous and frightful appearance. Vomiting blue and white flame from his mouth, while his eyes resembled red balls of fire. Miss Allsop reported that he wore a large helmet and that his clothing, which appeared to be very tight-fitting, 
resembled white oilskin. Without saying a word, he caught hold of her and began tearing her gown with his claws, which she was certain were of some metallic substance. She screamed for help and managed to get away from him and ran towards the house. He caught her on the steps and tore her neck and arms with his claws. She was rescued by one of her sisters, after which the assailant fled. On the 28th of February, 1838, nine days after the attack on Miss Allsop, 18-year-old Lucy Scales and her sister were returning home after visiting their brother, a butcher who lived in a respectable part of Limehouse. Miss Scales stated in her deposition to the police that as she and her sister were passing along Green Dragon Alley, they observed a person standing in an angle of the passage. She was walking in front of her sister at the time, and just as she came up to the person who was wearing a large cloak, he spurted a quantity of blue flame in her face, which deprived her of her sight, and so alarmed her that she instantly dropped to the ground and was seized with violent fits which continued for several hours. Her brother added that on the evening in question he had heard the loud screams of one of his sisters moments after they had left his house and on running up Green Dragon Alley he found his sister Lucy on the ground in a fit. With her sister attempting to hold and support her she was taken home and he then learned from his other sister what had happened. She described Lucy's assailant as being of tall, thin and gentlemanly appearance, covered in a large cloak and carrying a small lamp or bullseye lantern similar to those used by the police. The individual did not speak, nor did he try to lay hands on them, but instead walked quickly away. Every effort was made by the police to discover the author of these and similar outrages, and several persons were questioned, but were set free. In the beginning of the 1870s, Spring Hill Jack was reported again in several places distant from each other. In November 1872, the News of the World reported that Peckham was in a state of commotion owing to what is known as the Peckham Ghost. A mysterious figure, quite alarming in appearance, the editorial pointed out that it was none other than Spring Hill Jack who had terrified a past generation. Similar stories were published in the Illustrated Police News. In April and May 1873, it reported there were numerous sightings in Sheffield of the Park Ghost, which locals came to identify as Spring-Heeled Jack. This news was followed by more reported sightings, until in August 1877, one of the most notable reports about Spring-Heeled Jack came from a group of soldiers in Aldershot Garrison. This story went as follows. A sentry on duty in the north camp appeared into the darkness. His attention attracted a peculiar figure advancing towards him. The soldier issued a challenge which went unheeded and the figure came up beside him and delivered several slaps to the face. Some sources claim that the soldier may have fired blanks at him, others that he missed or fired warning shots. The strange figure then disappeared into the surrounding darkness with astonishing bounds. Lord Ernest Hamilton's 1922 memoir, Forty Years On, mentions the Aldershot appearances of Spring-Heeled Jack. However, he says that they occurred in the winter 
1879 after his regiment. The 60th Rifles had moved to Aldershot and that similar appearances had occurred when the regiment was barracked at Colchester in the winter of 1878. He adds that the panic became so great in Aldershot that centuries were issued ammunition in order to shoot the night terror on sight, following which the appearances ceased. Hamilton thought that the appearances were actually pranks, carried out by one of his fellow officers, a Lieutenant Alfrey. However, there is no record of Alfrey ever being court-martialed for the offence. No one was ever caught and identified as Springheel Jack. Combined with the extraordinary abilities attributed to him, and the very long period during which he was reportedly at large, this had led to numerous and varied theories of his nature and identity. While several researchers seek a normal explanation for the events, other authors explore the more fantastic details of the story to propose different kinds of paranormal speculation. Skeptical investigators have dismissed the stories of Springheel Jack as mass hysteria, which developed around various stories of the boogeyman or devil which have been around for centuries, or from exaggerated urban myths about a man who clambered over rooftops claiming that the devil was chasing him. A variety of wildly speculative paranormal explanations have been proposed to explain the origin of Springheel Jack, including that he was an extraterrestrial entity of a non-human appearance and features and a superhuman agility deriving from life on a high gravity world with his jumping ability and strange behaviour and that he was a demon accidentally or purposely summoned into the world by practitioners of the occult or who made himself manifest simply to create spiritual turmoil. So folks, what do you think of that? Let me know your ideas or theories on Springheel Jack in the comments below. There is a lot of theories surrounding Springheel Jack and his true origins, um, which will seem to re will remain shrouded in mystery. Uh, many books have been written about him as well. Um, but I just thought I'd try to keep the basics on this story. But I'll give you my final thoughts on this. One of the few possible sources of inspiration for the legend of Springheel Jack um, may, may actually come from the so-called Devil's Footprints story. This, uh, the Devil's Footprints appeared in southern England uh, in around about 1855. Um, According to reports, a series of hoof-like tracks appeared in the, in the snow overnight, stretching for miles across the countryside. Although many explanations were proposed at the time, um, including the idea that they may have been made by an escaped kangaroo from a nearby zoo, uh, the mystery of the devil's footprints was never ever solved. Uh, some have suggested that this strange and unsettling event um, may have actually helped to inspire uh, the legend of Springheel Jack. Uh, definitely another possible influence on the legend uh, may have been the emerging field of science fiction, which um, which was beginning to gain popularity in the mid-1800s. Many of the themes and motifs associated with Springheel Jack, uh, include his, including his strange appearance, supernatural abilities and mysterious origins, uh, are quite common in uh, in science fiction and fantasy literature of the time. Some have even suggested that the legend of Springheel Jack may have been a kind of early science fiction, 
um, like a product of uh, the Victorian fascination of, uh, the, of the unknown and unexplainable. Was he the demon or, an ent or the entity that people and the press probably wanted him to be? Or was he just a person? Uh, personally, I'm leaning towards the sceptical investigators and the Lord Mayor of London on this one. I think many people were responsible for this. In the beginning, maybe just one or two of them, uh, but then the press gets hold of the story and the public starts to get spooked. Hysteria starts. A few more people from around the different parts of London probably start to copycat. And so spring Hill Jack spreads. The reports of blue and white flames coming from his mouth almost seems fantasy-like, uh, with one or two ladies having fits. Um, the truth is we don't really know uh, what those ladies may have been doing before the alleged attack. Um, were they of ill health? Um, were drugs and alcohol part and parcel of this as well? Um, you just never know. Jack could have actually been uh, some kind of a circus fire breather uh, to, you know, to shock people when they get close. Also, his ability to leap high walls is an odd one. Um, was this person a very fast climber? But again, I kind of find myself going towards a circus performer. Whoever it was, uh, surely would have scoped out the area or, or knew it very well in the first place to get quick uh, getaways. Again, I'm wondering if some of this was, you know, again, mass hysteria, almost like a fisherman's tale type scenario because of the speed that Jack fled the scene. A few other things to uh, to consider here as well. Um, all or at least most of the attacks happened at night time. London and other cities of the time were not brightly lit like they are today. Um, the dimly lit streets uh, with lots of dark alleys and corners. Something else to also bear in mind here was, um, was that the Metropolitan Police Force were only founded eight years previous to this in 1829 um, and weren't around really in numbers or even well organised like they are today so it had been very difficult for them to catch anyone and they didn't actually catch Jack the Ripper in 1888. I hope you all enjoyed this odd and interesting tale from old London about the legend of spring Hill Jack. But until the next time, sleep tight. <laughs> <laughs>